Equinox Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Chris Peter is going to join us here in a couple of moments as uh, we were just talking about the NFL draft, which is to come on Thursday. We'll start to preview some of the NHL prospects to come at the NHL entry draft. We now welcome into the conversation Chris Peters, friend of the show. Thanks for this, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Good to be with you. Yeah, great to great to have you on. Um, you know, we, we we saw a couple of uh, news bits coming out about the, a couple of the top players in the draft. Connor Bedard will not be going to the World Championships. Adam Fantilli has decided to go to the World Championships to play for Canada. Uh, what do you make of, of young players making this decision and deciding to go and play in the Worlds? Yeah, you know, it's always interesting because I, I think when you're in the in, in your draft season, you know, there's there's always little things that you can potentially do to, you know, boost your stock. I don't think either of these guys have a ton left to prove um, this year. And, and in Connor Bedard's case in particular, I think the other thing you have to factor in is how long he's been playing this season. You go back to the, the, the Canadian World Junior Camp to go to the Summer World Juniors, and that was in the summer. Um, you know, and so he's, you know, he's basically been playing high-level hockey in various degrees since August. So, you know, I think for him, the focus has to be getting ready for his first NHL season because, you know, we all expect him to to sign immediately and to be part of a, a team as soon as next year. And um, the, the, the draft season can be really taxing, but it, I think especially so for the guy that's been, the, you know, considered the number one pick. The, he's done so much media. He's done all these other things. So I think for him in particular, um, it, it was the correct decision not to go. There's not a lot he has left it probably would have been a great experience to just kind of get your your wet your appetite a little bit for NHL level talent uh, but in Adam Fantilli's case it's a really good opportunity for him because his season wasn't as long they don't play as many games in college he did play in the winter world juniors but not in the summer world juniors was too old for the Lincoln Gretzky Cup so his season started a lot later so he has a little bit more runway he probably isn't as tired you know he's got a lot of things that he can do. And this is an opportunity for him also as, as a player that is still probably deciding, should I sign next year? Should I go back to Michigan? Um, you know, that there's, there's a lot on the table because you look at a lot of the guys that have gone col- the college route, including Owen Power, who went first overall, he decided to take that extra college year. Um, so to go to this tournament, play with and against NHL players for Adam Fantilli, it's a great opportunity for him to kind of find out, you know, how far away am I? How, how close am I? Um, you know, that's that's kind of something that he can do. And it's also an opportunity to get to work with a number of NHL players and coaches um, in a really good environment. So I think, you know, they were kind of making decisions based on different sets of, um, you know, kind of needs. And, and I don't think, you know, if, if Adam Fantilli goes to the world championship and, and you know, has a, a dramatic tournament and puts up a ton of points, it's probably not going to get him to the number one pick. But maybe it does solidify him a little bit more uh, uh more fully into the number two slot in terms in terms of leo carlson like wh- how do you view him as a prospect and, and how close do you think it is between him and adam fantilli <clears throat> yeah you know i think i think for the gap between those two guys is not necessarily huge um 
you know, you look at what Leo Carlson did at the SHL level this year, one of the best seasons we've seen from a U19 player in terms of production um, in that league, you know, 25 points and, and playing a leading offensive role on, on a team that, that had a pretty good season. So that's, that's solid. You, know, you, you have to be impressed with that. He's obviously got the size factor, their skill. Um, you know, I think the biggest separation between those two players is the skating. I think that Adam Fantilli is the quicker player. Um, and that's probably where he has a bit more of an advantage. But, you know, I think you can potentially look at Leo Carlson's hockey sense as being an advantage for him. Highly intelligent player, not to say that Adam Fantilli isn't, but just I think there's a little bit of a gap between the two in terms of the, the kinds of plays that they make. Um, and so I think that what you see with Leo Carlson, he's got excellent vision, really good hands, and he plays the game really well, like with real proficiency, I would say, you know, he makes a lot of good decisions with the puck. He's not often getting it in trouble, uh, but he also has tremendous confidence with the puck on his stick. So that translated a lot in the games that we saw. I always say well, he kind of plays with a little bit of swagger. You can actually see him play with the confidence that he has, um, which is, which is pretty impressive uh, to behold. So, yeah, but I, I think that there's, you know, there's certainly a case to be made for Leo Carlson. You know, I think that, that there could be a few teams out there that would have him number two. Um, you know, I think there could be a few more that are, you know, where he's at. You know, is he three? Is he four? Um, there's a lot of wide-ranging opinions. I think a lot of it ends up being tied to, you know, he may not have the same level of quickness as some of the other guys, um, but not a huge detractor. I mean, I think he's still a really good player, and there's a lot to like there, and certainly one of those guys that solidified himself as one of the four best prospects in this, in this whole draft. Chris Peters joining us, a senior content creator at Flow Hockey and a host of the Talking Hockey Sense podcast. So when we look at other draft eligibles, you know, the, the U18s happening right now and, um, you know, we're seeing Will Smith and Gabe Perot really go off for the for the U.S. team already with 15 points apiece uh, for, for Will Smith um, and, and a lot of these players in that sort of next tier after the big three or maybe even big four, if you want to throw Mitchkoff in there. It's kind of hard to gauge how the draft is is going to go, but Will Smith is uh, it, it seems to me starting to gain a lot of attention with the way he's played lately. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really for me, it's been all season with him. I think he's shown such tremendous growth from last year to this year in terms of his overall ability, and um, you know, he got stronger. He became a bit of a better skater. Um, you know, this year the production has been there. He's got, so with with the points that he's put up in the last couple of days, he surpassed Austin Matthews also, which Gabe Perot did. So the top two, he and Gabe Perot are the top two scorers in the in a single season at the NCDP, and you know, past guys like Jack Hughes, Austin Matthews, um, you know, uh, Patrick Kane, Phil Kessel. I mean, way past those guys at this point. Um, so it's pretty impressive to see. But I think with Will, uh, you know, he's the center on the top line, probably the best line in junior hockey with what the, the national team did with, with him and Ryan Leonard and, and Gabe Perot. And, and so to see what he's done at the World Under-18s isn't necessarily a huge surprise. USA has been in the weaker of the two brackets as well, so they haven't been challenged a ton. You know, played Norway, played Switzerland. So we would expect those guys to put up big numbers. But they're actually averaging – 3.75 points per game at this U18 world, which puts them on pace to surpass the record that Nikita Kucherov set, you know, in 2011 with uh, 21 points in the tournament. So, I mean, what, what, what those guys are doing is you can't overlook it. And I think for Will Smith, it's ending the season on the highest possible note and really putting himself further into that discussion 
for the top five. But you're exactly right. After that first four guys, I would include Mitch Cobb in that group, at least mm-hmm. on, on ability alone. doesn't necessarily mean he's going to go in the first four picks. But, you know, if we're, if we're just ranking it, he'd be in the top four. After that, I think there's a wide range of opinions. There is actually even a wide range of opinions among the NCDP forwards where it's Ryan, you know, some teams will have Ryan Leonard ahead of Will Smith. Some mm-hmm. teams might have Gabe Perot higher than others. Some teams might even have Oliver Moore. Um, and so that's the, the crazy thing is that in this top 10, essentially, there's a real jumble. And if you look at all the public lists, if you look at the NHL team list, I bet you see a wide range of orders of these players. So uh, that's indicative of, of the talent that's there, I think, because there are a lot of good players. But it's also I think that's where we see there's a pretty significant gap between the top four and then the next group. So on Will Smith, how, when you compare him to a guy like, for instance, um, Kent Johnson, do you think there are some similarities and how close do you think they are in terms of value prospects? Yeah, I think that's a, that's probably a good, a good one to look at. You know, they're both magicians with the pockets, yeah. really good one-on-one skill. They're able to create separation. Um, you know, and I think that that's, that's the thing that we're still trying to figure out. Guys like Trevor Zegers, Troy Terry, um, you know, the, uh, Kent Johnson is a real good example where, you know, these guys that are, are, are more, you know, skill-based and, and certainly don't ha- necessarily have the physical strength of some of the other players, you know, that's, it, they have to play in that skilled way um, because just, it's, it's how they compete. Um, you know, I think that that's where Will creates a little bit of separation from him and the rest of the group because he does have that dynamic puck skill. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's a, that's a good comp in terms of what he is. And I think we're still trying to figure out exactly what Ken Johnson is going to be as an NHL player. You know, is, is he a center? Is he a wing? Is he, you know, there's a lot of questions about whether Will, Will Smith has the two-way capabilities to be a center in the NHL. Uh, and it's the same thing with Kent Johnson. And so I think that there's a lot of those similar kinds of questions. So I think in terms of pure value, there's a lot there, but there are so there are so few players like Kent Johnson and Will Smith that, that handle the puck at the level that they do, and we see how much success guys like Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Kane and others have had over the years. You know, and you say if, if that's the best case scenario, we're we're hitting a home run here. Um, but I, I don't think that either of those two guys are going to get to that similar level. So it's somewhere kind of in between. You're looking at a top six guy, more than likely. But no, by no means would you say that's a surefire first round, first first line talent um, for for either of those two guys. I think at this point, we've talked in in our uh, you know draft discussions. We have talked a lot about Oliver Moore. We actually had him on the show a little while back. Um, center got great uh, great speed. I mean that really pops anytime you you watch him. Um, where do you think his ceiling is, and and what do you think are the biggest strengths of his game? Yeah, you know, I think he's going to be interesting because he doesn't necessarily have the um, offensive instincts of some of the other guys that that are that we're talking about in that top, you know, six, seven, eight, nine range. Um, but he does have the two. He, he just has a lot of tools in general. He's gotten a lot stronger, as you mentioned. The speed is a huge separator. I mean, I think he's the fastest skater in the draft. He's explosive. He plays you know, so hard and, and, and goes, goes all the way. But the, the thing is, is, you know, he's, I think he's still trying to catch up. I think the brain is still trying to catch up to the feet. It's a lot better than it was before, even at the beginning of the season. I think he's shown a lot of development. You know, you look at the kind of the, the gap between him in terms of his production and the guys that everybody's talking about with Perot and, and Smith, 
Um, and I think that that hasn't really affected his stock at all. They understand that he's not on the first power play unit because those guys are, and he's not in uh, all of the best positions to necessarily put up major numbers. But what he has done is he's added more to his game. He's become a better defensive forward. He's become, you know, so, so in terms of ceiling, you know, I think he has, like, in the best-case scenario, I think he's probably a, a number two center um, at, at long term. But if that's what you're getting in a top, you know, 15 pick, that's pretty good. You know, and he could go in the top 10. I think there are, like I said, there are, I think there are absolutely scouts out there that would put Oliver Moore ahead of the three forwards on the first line. So um, I think there's a lot of value there. I think he's only just starting to scratch the surface, too, in terms of his full capabilities because he is he is pretty skilled. It's not that he's not unskilled he's got a good shot he's got all that I just don't think he has necessarily that that pure offensive instinct that those other guys do at this point which is maybe where the gap exists I think it's interesting in terms of like like you mentioned Oliver Moore now now he he's a bit quicker obviously and a bit higher level than you know what Dalibor Dvorsky and, and perhaps even a bit lower Nate Danielson might provide but those guys they kind of have they're kind of seen as having more complete games right they're kind of seen as having you know ability to play center more naturally do more different things for you the question I have especially about a guy like Dvorsky and Nate Danielson is yes they can do those things but do they have traits or specific traits that are high enough end that they can be, you know, a second line player or be a difference making player. That, that's my only question, especially with a guy like Dvorsky, because I like how he plays. But I just wonder, does he have a trait that is good enough for him to excel? Yeah, you know, it's that's a really good question. I think it's and it's and it's posed in an interesting way too, because I think that you know both Dvorsky and Danielson, they definitely have something. Like mm-hmm. there's something there in terms of that they these guys have the potential to be top six talents. Like the one thing that we haven't necessarily seen open up yet, although he has started to show it a little bit more at the under 18 world championship is that killer instinct goal scoring ability that we saw from Dvorsky at younger ages. And so now he's been playing in higher levels and it's been harder for him to necessarily produce at that level. But I think that that still exists. I don't think it went away. I think it's just harder for him to show that at the levels that he's been at. And so if he can bring that back to the four, I think that that's something where he all of a sudden you're saying, oh, this guy definitely could be a number two. Um, I think he's also added much more defensive responsibility and detail into his game compared to what existed before, which is probably another reason why the numbers are a little bit like, you know, they're fine. They're not amazing. Um, and, And so that's something that I think will, you know, enhance his value. I think that he's a guy where, He's still very, very high on my personal board in terms of, you know, his overall game. I think there's a lot of versatility there to him, that even more than I thought at the beginning of the season. And I would say the same thing about Nate Danielson. I think the value of both of those players, is they can play the game a lot of different ways, and especially Nate mm-hmm. Danielson. He can be competitive. He can make plays. He can, um, you know, he can throw the weight around a little bit. He's got some decent size to him. And, and I think he just kind of plays a pretty simple overall game but he still has the skill to produce and so i think none of neither of those guys have a trait where you just absolutely say like full stop that is the the thing that i want to hang my hat on with that player but i think they do enough things well where you know, they're going to either carve out a role but I, but i think they each have the skill to potentially play a little bit higher in the lineup do you, do you have someone in the in the top 10 that's maybe not uh you know seen the same way around the industry um, in, in terms of the top 10, probably not. I mean, you know, I think that the question is, is, you know, how high do you want to have a defenseman? <laughs> you know, I think right now is, yeah, that's the question. Everybody seems to be asking. Thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and honestly, you know, you look at the central scouting rankings and you see how low, you know, I think you had to get to the 18th before you got to a North American skater as a defenseman. We're going to see a pretty low number of defensemen selected in the first round there. But, you know, I think Axel Sandin Pelica is the guy that I've started to kind of circle a little bit more as being possibly the best defenseman in the draft. It's been between him and Reinbacher for a long time. Um, but I just look at the dynamic elements that he's started to bring and the fact that he's been a number one defenseman at both the U-20s and now the U-18s and had pretty significant production while playing ma- major minutes. Um, you know, we're starting to see him really pop. So he could potentially get in there. And then I would also say, too, the guy that I don't think has gotten enough respect, I guess, um, as a potential top 10 pick, <clears throat> excuse me, and just a, just overall, because he's the third most productive player on his line, is Ryan Leonard. Mm-hmm. I think that's a player where I think he could go a fair amount higher than he's been projected in a lot of places. Now, he was rated very highly by central scouting, so we're starting to see that that's kind of, it gives you a little bit of a sample of an industry opinion there in terms of what he's been able to do. But he's on the verge of 50 goals this season. And then on top of that, you know, with he plays Gabe Perot and, and Will Smith. He is not as dynamic, but he is still very skilled. He is a great shooter. He also is incredibly physical. And, and, and that is the trait that I think, I've, as I've talked to more scouts, said, this guy does everything you need to do to win hockey games. He plays hard. You never have to worry about his effort level. And then he still scores. And so I think that that's going to be a very interesting player to watch. I don't think he thinks the game at the same level or at the same pace as Will Smith or Gabe Perot, but I do think that his physical tools allow him to create a little bit of separation between him and some of the other players in that range. And I know that the way that he plays the game is still very effective at the NHL level, and I think that's going to give him a chance to go possibly, you know, I think he could be a top 10 pick, mm. possibly even in that top eight, top not, you know, top even seven range in the draft just because of some of those extra traits that he brings to the table. On uh, Axel Sandin Palika, do you think some of the defensive issues and some of the concerns about how he can play along the boards and separate the man from the puck, is that overstated or is that truly one of his big flaws? Well, it is, it's certainly a flaw. I mean, his size is not, is not at a, at a place where he's going to be able to do that as effectively, but the things that I've started to see from him is just the intelligence of his puck moving capabilities, the way that he is able to exit the zone, the fact that he makes plays very quickly, um, all matter. And I think, you know, as we look through the NHL, you still need to have guys that, that have size and push people around. But you look at a lot of the decors around the league, and they are getting a little bit smaller. They are getting a little bit, um, you know, more mobile. And I think that he plays a little bit more close to the modern style uh, there and 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 like I said, you know, he might be a top ten pick, but it's it, I don't know that we'll see a defenseman go in the top ten this year. So, you know, either way, I think in the range that he's going to go, and if it's in that ten to fifteen range, or maybe even a little bit higher, I mean, I think that he still has a lot of those skills. I'm not saying he's Eric Carlson or anything in terms of that. Like, I don't yeah. think he's that dynamic. But at the same time, I just think that, especially in this class, if you're looking for a defenseman, I think he checks a lot of the boxes except for size and the defensive stuff. Does he need to get better? Yes. But is it a huge detriment to his game where you, that outweighs all the other positive things he does? I don't think so. 
Well, I mean, Eric Carlson was a 15th overall pick. So, I mean, it could be the same range right. here that we're talking about. But I did have one more I wanted to throw by you uh, before we let you go. And it's great stuff as always here, Chris. But Jaden Perron is a player that I watch some of, you know, from the limited viewings we can get, you know, from our perspective. And I see some stuff there. But I, I talk to some people that love him. They're like, I think this guy can be a star. He can do all these different things. And he should be a guy you shouldn't sleep on. Maybe he'll be a star despite being taken later in the first or something. Do you see that in his game? Like, could he be one of those guys that if he gets taken later in the first or perhaps the second, can be a star player? Or are people maybe getting ahead of themselves on him? Yeah, I, I you know, I've, I've watched the USHL a lot. You know, it's, I'm in yeah. there, I live down in, in the Midwest and it's in my backyard and, um, you know, have seen him. And, and I think Jaden Perron's a heck of a player. He's, he's going to have a, a pretty nice career ahead of him. Um, I think there's a lot of risk there in projecting him as a star. I, I just, I have not yet seen it and his production doesn't dictate that either in terms of, you know, what he's done this year at the USHL level. Um, especially the, earlier in the season, I was getting a little bit nervous that, you know, this might be a guy that falls third, fourth round the way that he was playing earlier in the season. Um, he did improve a lot, played with a lot with Macklin Celebrini this year. And those two just became a dynamic duo and I think that that, is a, that, that helped Jaden Perron in terms of his production and his numbers. I don't necessarily think that it's significantly altered his projection. I think it's more likely than not he's a second-round pick this year. Um, and if he is, that's really good still, you know, especially in a trap like this. You know, you're still looking for – you're expecting to pick an NHL player in the second round anymore. And I, I do think that he has the capability to get there. But I think in terms of you know, the size – is he dynamic enough? He's certainly skilled, but is he dynamic enough? That I'm not necessarily sure about. Does he skate well enough at his size? I'm not sure enough on that one either. But I do see a player that does a lot of little things well, that competes very hard, that makes a lot of smart plays. And to me, because of that lack of a, a true dynamic element, I have him slide a little bit further down and probably closer into the second round. And I think there are teams that still have him in that third round range even. Um, so... But, I, I mean, I think he'll be an early day two pick either way. Uh, it's just a matter of, yeah, I, I think you're, 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 you're right to have some hesitance there, I, I, I think at least. But I, I understand why a lot of people like him as well. Uh, by, by listener request, before we let you go, Chris, uh, what do you think could fall to the Canucks should they end up drafting around 11th overall? Yeah, you know, I, I still think there's a lot of potential there. Like, I think Reinbacher could be there. You know, do you want to go defenseman? I, I like the player a lot. I think he's got a lot of traits that, you know, could put you into that, that number, you know, a, a number two, number three defenseman kind of situation there, which is a good, you know, if you get a guy that's playing up your lineup and, and upwards of 20 minutes a game, you're going to be happy. Um, you know, I, I, there's, there's absolutely a chance that a guy like Oliver Moore is there. Um, and I think that that's a range where, you know, he's, he's one of those guys where he has definitely has a lot of people that like him and he has enough people that are, have, have their concerns. Um, but I think that he plays a style that a lot of teams want and need. So I, I could absolutely see, you know, that's the kind of range where you're saying, okay, well, maybe we could get one of the top defensemen if that's where we feel we want to go. Or, you know, can we get that number two, number three center? Um, you know, you'd hope you get a number two center if you're picking an 11th. Um, but, you know, obviously that's, it's uh, it's hard to project that out, but I think those are the kinds of players that you could see around that range. You know, I think I think it's less and less likely now that like a Nate Danielson would be there at that range. Um, less and less likely that Dvorsky would be there. Maybe Shala as well could be there. 
So there's 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 plenty of options, and I think if you're picking in that range, you're still landing a player that's going to be a, a significant difference maker to your to your prospect pool. So I think that's a it's a it's not the worst place in the world to be, but obviously if you can get up there and if you can you know shock the world and win the lottery, uh, then that's even better. At Chris M. Peters is where you can follow him on Twitter. Check out his work at Flow Hockey and the podcast, the Talking Hockey Sense podcast. Chris, we always appreciate your time and your insights. Thanks so much for this. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, there is Chris Peters, one of the best covering the NHL entry draft. Um, Reinbacher or Oliver Moore? You know, thinking about that today, let's say the Canucks yeah. end up at 11. <laughs> I'm uh I'm not I'm not too opposed to, to to adding that kind of a player to the Canucks prospect. No, and you know it's we've gone through this quite a bit. There's going to be misses mm-hmm. ahead of where the Canucks picked, and there's going to be a star player taken after where the Canucks pick. Yeah, can they take one of those stars at eleven? Right, yeah. and if they pick at eleven, we'll see if they get the lottery luck, obviously, to pick higher up. But and there are so many guys that I'm not quite sure on. They have a lot of talent, but like Will Smith, for instance. Super talented player. But is he the type of player this team is truly lacking long-term? Now, I'm not saying draft for need, but I'm just wondering. Like, if you're looking long-term, he's a skilled guy, not great defensively, hasn't figured that out, maybe plays wing. Is that the type of profile player this team truly needs to take the next step? Yeah. Now, if he hits it all, maybe he's a star. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. So, like, if that if those guys go a little bit higher and then the more functional players— whether it's Ryan Bacher, Oliver Moore, Dalibor Dvorsky, or perhaps even, you know, one of their super talented guys, whether it's Cristal or Benson, you know, I don't yeah. think Benson will because he's too good. But if, if some of those guys find themselves there, like, I don't know, I, I kind of find the guys that, that might go ahead of Vancouver a few spots are players that I'm probably not as enamored by, just my opinion on. So. I, I feel like uh, Old Man Sad is a bigger Ryan Leonard fan than uh, Will yeah. Smith. Yeah, and Ryan Leonard, the funny thing with Ryan Leonard, too, is his game is somewhat similar to Bo's. Mm-hmm. Now, not in the sense of um, completely the same, but they have certain traits, especially how they skate, how, how they can get in on the forecheck, and how they can shoot the puck. Ryan Leonard, I think, has good playmaking skills as well. Maybe won't play center. But these are players that I, I kind of look at, and I'm like, this guy looks like a guy that once he gets to the NHL is going to be more functional. And I wonder about that, too. Like You, you see players taken with a lot of skill, but are they going to have functional NHL careers or not? The uh, last time a defenseman was not taken in the top five of the NHL entry draft, the famed 2003 draft. And uh, this year it's unlikely to happen. We may even get to a situation where there is no defenseman taken in the top 10, which would uh, really be outside of the ordinary, which is why I don't think it will happen. But even if you look at some of those picks that after 2003 there was a bunch of guys who went in the top top five but it's like cam barker jack johnson uh good branson you know they had the great year in uh, i guess 08 where it was dowdy and uh bogosian and shen who all went and pietrangelo who all went in the top five but you know those years certainly don't happen but a lot of times yulevi was a top five pick as a defenseman as well just because you're drafting a defenseman in the top five doesn't mean it's going to work. No, it's not. I mean, you know, I, I referenced Eric Carlson yeah. back in uh, 2008. So Dowdy goes second overall. Zach Bogosian goes third overall. Alex Petrangelo goes fourth overall. And then Luke Shen goes fifth overall. Yeah. Two out of four of those guys didn't have. I mean, and Shen we all love, obviously, but shouldn't probably have gone fifth overall, yeah. right? And the Eric Carlson <laughs> and they traded up to get him too. Yeah, Colton Tubert went 13. Tyler Myers went 12. I mean, that was a lot of defensemen in that year's draft. But 
defensemen are harder to project. They're very hard to project, and that's yeah. why you see some some hesitation on them. Because just look at if you if you get four defensemen taken in the top ten or five, usually at least forty percent of them bust. Yeah, that's just kind of looking at the trends of it. It's it's a very dicey proposition. Yeah, and uh, we've seen a lot of defensemen end up. Um, you know, becoming great defensemen outside of the first round completely, right? Uh, the Shea Webers and uh, P.K. Subans, Duncan Keith um, of the world. Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. You are listening to Knock Central. 